Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to James chapter 4. We're going to take one week off and jump back into our series on Matthew next week. As you're turning to James chapter 4, I want to ask you some questions. Have you ever been told it's wrong to want things? As in, when you pray, it's wrong to ask God what you want because you ultimately want what God wants. You ever heard that before? Don't pray for your will, but pray for God's will. Have you ever been told that your heart is deceitful and wicked and you can never trust it? So you can never trust what is going on in your heart? What I want to talk to us about today is this idea of our desires. What we want. What we desire. And as true as it is that we want God's will to not come before God with an open heart with our own desires is not to be human. When we talk about our desires and not being able to trust our heart, as Jeremiah says, our heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? That is before the new covenant aspect of the Spirit of God actually comes in. Not that our hearts with the Spirit of God have been completely made new, but you can actually begin to trust your heart now because of the new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit. And an important part of our discipleship is coming to grips and learning to deal with our desires, our needs, our feelings. Discipleship, growing and following after Jesus, is not simply a test of knowledge. It's not simply about attending and having right beliefs. But following Jesus demands we follow him with our desires and our hearts and our needs. And in James chapter 4, we have this idea of desires. It's all throughout scripture, but a famous one we're just going to deal with this morning is in James 4 that says this. It's on the screen if you want to look there. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And you do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. This morning, I want to talk about our desires. Number one, that they're real. Number two, that they're powerful. And number three, that they should lead us to Jesus. So, Father, as we look at our desires this morning... I pray that you'll help us to be attentive to our hearts, to the things that we want, to the things that we feel, the things that we need. Because ultimately they will lead us to you. So God, help us, we pray this morning, to be attentive to the Spirit. And Spirit, we pray that you'll do the work that only you can do. Bring 
real affection change should bring the gospel to bear on our hearts. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. First of all, our, real, our desires are real. To be a human is to have desires. Everyone desires. Everyone wants things. So just this week in San Diego, you know what I wanted? The sun. It was really weird. You'd never think you'd go to San Diego and not have sun. But it was freezing, as Nate mentioned. It was cold. There's a snowstorm in Southern California for the first time in, since God made the world. You know, like, why? And that actually goes into your day. You wake up in the morning and you're expecting one thing and you want to go running and it's like literally a 40 degree wind blowing all over the place. It's dark, it's cold, it's rainy. And you're like, I can't go run. And you're like, Scott, you're weird. Yes, I am. But like that is a natural desire that you want. And when you don't get that, what happens? What did you want this week? To want is, is to, to be a human. And the Greek word that we use in the New Testament is actually a neutral word. Oftentimes it's used like to desire sexually, to have bad, wrong sexual desires. But that's when it's used in the context of negative. It's often used as a positive thing. So on the screen, I have Galatians chapter 5 that says this, The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. So the flesh has certain desires, and the spirit has certain desires, and those desires are at odds or opposed to it. They're in conflict with each other. But there's evil desires, and there are positive desires, is what I'm trying to get us to see. Or in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever desires, these are all the same Greek word, desires to be an overseer, to be an elder, desires a noble task. That's a, a positive desire. So oftentimes our desires in the Bible are looked at negatively, but I want us to begin to see that they're actually neutral. The desires you have are not necessarily bad. They're not necessarily good. It depends where those desires take you and what you ultimately want to meet the needs of those desires. So to be a human is just to have desires. God made us this way. As children, what is the first thing that is actually formed within us? It is our desire for need, not our brains and all of the information that we process. You know, we have lots of little children all around, and we just had one more birthed into our church family this week, and there's more coming. And you know what? They didn't come out talking about the hypostatic union. They came out in need with desires. And, and to say that we're human and have desires is just another way of saying that we are people who are in need. We are needy people. In fact, the best place to be as a human is to be in a place of need, and it's the exact opposite. The last place you and I want to find ourselves is in a place of need. How many of you just love getting on the phone and saying, Hey, Sam. My fence is broken. Can you come fix it with me? Any of you? Is that easy for some of you? Some of you are like, you know, I spent too much money this month. 
I need $100 to pay my credit card bill. Can you give me 100 bucks? How many of you will have that conversation? And why not? And you can make all the excuses you want, but for most of us at the end of the day, most of us at the end of the day, it's because we don't want to show we're in need. We're Americans. We'll figure it out. I'm from the Northeast. We pull up our bootstraps. We put a smile. Well, we don't put a smile on. We put a straight face and we just go forward. Like that's what we do. To be in need is the exact last place we ever want to be. But in fact, God made us as humans to be people who actually desire. And to be people who actually desire means you need something. Otherwise, you don't have desires. And so what do you desire? The best way to access your need, to get all warm and fuzzy on you, is through your feelings. I think we have this on the screen, the next slide, I have this idea that we, we have feelings that express need that actually then lead us to desire something. Like, God made us as humans, as we'll see in just a minute, to be people actually feel. And when we feel a certain way, it's showing us that we have need. And when we have need, we want that need to be met. So to refuse to feel your feelings, to refuse to put your place, yourself in a place of need, is to actually separate yourself from God, from others, and from yourself. Isn't this interesting why Jesus tells us to come to us like little children? Do your little kids, when they come to you, do they have a four-point plan of how they're going to repay you for lunch? Or they just say, give me lunch? Because they come as children. They come in need. Without feeling our feelings, you actually isolate yourself. You keep yourself from other people. It is impossible to be moving close to people in relationship without feeling your feelings so that you have need, so that people can actually meet your needs and desires. So what do you want? What are you feeling? And you're like, Scott, this is all crazy talk. Okay. When Jesus was in the Garden of Eden, nope, he was. We're going <laughs> to skip ahead a little bit. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the night before he was betrayed, do you remember this prayer that Jesus had to his father? In the midst of that prayer, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Guess what kind of feelings Jesus was experiencing in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why was he asking to take the cup from him? What was Jesus feeling? You can answer. Agony. He's, he's, he's in deep agony. Yeah. Fear, abandonment. He's knowing what's coming. He's feeling passionate. He's feeling sad. If you know the story, he's left all alone. He's feeling lonely. 
All the disciples like, we'll never leave you. Here comes Romans. Have a good day, Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane himself was a human who felt things. And those feelings, he had need. And what did Jesus do in his need? He took those needs and desires to who? The Father. Jesus' feelings created within him this sense of need and desires. And so it is human, just as Jesus was fully human, to have need, to have desires. So maybe one of the most existential philosophical questions we can answer today is, what do you want? And don't say the new Apple Ultra Watch. Okay, we all want that too. But what do you really want? What do you want? To be human is to have desires. Your desires are real. Do not reject them. Do not deny them. But number two, our desires are powerful. They're powerful. They're not static. They're dynamic. What do I mean by that? It's not like you have one desire and just stays there. Your desires are constantly moving. They're constantly changing. They're constantly going to move somewhere. Because your unawakened or your unattended desires of your heart, all the desires that they're there, whether you know about them, whether you don't know about them, whether you're suppressing them, whether you are over-engaging them, those desires will eventually be met. It's like... An illustration I heard about this is like an oak tree with a root system. The roots of the oak tree will break through your pool. It will break through your house foundation. That's in New York where you have basements. Okay, It will break through ground. For what reason? To get water. The root system will Find its desire to be met in water. And so it is with your heart, with your desires, with your needs and your feelings. They will find ways to be met. The problem is, is with the way that we find water, we don't really get water. What we do is we choose things that are substitutes for water. And the choices that we make, and when the root system of our desires come to the surface, they often bring detrimental consequences. They're detrimental and destructive to our lives. This is why Solomon tells us to, above everything else, guard your minds. No, guard your what, church? Hearts. That your desires, the things that you value, be attentive and real with those things. Because everything you do comes out of your desires. Everything you do comes out of your affections, your hearts. Your heart's needs will be met. Now, you can deny them. You can suppress them. But eventually they're coming back. How many of you have ever told God at a campfire, you threw a stick in there and said, I will never do X again. And a week later, you find yourself back doing X. Why? There's lots of reasons for that. But one reason is that you've just suppressed your desires. 
and you were strong enough, you had enough mental fortitude or moral fortitude to say no to something for a long time, but those desires didn't go away, and eventually the root system of your heart reached the surface, and it came back. They're powerful. You can't just reject them, deny them, suppress them, say they're not there. In fact, they're so powerful. What does James tell us about all of our relationships? He says this in James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't you know they come from your husband who doesn't know anything? Don't they come from your kids who won't just obey? What does James actually say? Why are there divisions? Why is there frustration? Why is there struggle in relationships? They come from desires that are inside of you. The reason for all of your relational stress in all the relationships in your life are not due because other people are idiots, not because of money, not because of lack of communication. They all come from an internal battle with wrong desires of wrong needs that are not being met the way that you want them to be met. So if you're in an argument, you're in a, you're in a frustrating moment, look at the other person and say, what needs do you have right now that are not being met? And I think you'll go a long way in solving those relational issues. This does not mean that two people can never disagree on anything. It doesn't mean everyone just gives each other a high five and moves on. Two people can actually disagree on any given topic and still not fight. I know that's weird in America. But what causes that escalation from having a civil conversation where you end up both being on a different side of the coin, what, what brings that from that escalating from that discussion to an argument, to a quarrel, to a fight? It is your unmet desires. There is a battle going on in your desires. As we read in Galatians, the spirit's desires are against the flesh, and the flesh has desires that are not in line with the spirit's. Your desires will find a way to be met. And when they are not met the way that God intended them to be met, they will lead to destructive consequences. And ultimately, the worst consequence you can have as a human is to have unmet realization needs with other people. They will destroy relationships. They will keep you isolated. Until you can be honest with yourself and express your needs and your feelings to other people. And let's have wisdom. We're not just going to like share everything deep down with everyone in the world who can't handle them. Does that make sense? We're going to have wisdom with who we share with. But if you can't do that with people, you live in isolation. And you're breeding destruction in your relationships. But more than that, not only are these needs that are being unmet, being fulfilled in other ways that are leading you in isolation, destroying relationships, but it actually also distorts the church's witness. 
17th century Jewish philosopher on the screen wrote this a couple of years ago. He said, I've often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion. Okay, this is a Jew writing this. The people who make a boast of professing the Christian religion, which is namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. Like this is a Jewish philosopher several centuries ago saying, it's ironic that the Christian faith that they express is one of love and charity and gentleness is actually the exact opposite of what we experience. So it's not just that your unmet needs and unmet desires are being destructive in your relationships with other people, but it's actually giving the world a wrong picture of who God really is. And if the church, this is why we call this discipleship, will come and begin to do business with not just theology and right beliefs, but actually come and attend to their hearts and their desires and express need through their feelings and desires to other people, then relationships can be restored, can be worked on. And not only will you find joy and harmony and peace through that painful process, but the outside world will actually look and be like, hey, that's what we were made for, and I want that. And yet too often, those feelings don't lead us to where God has intended us. They actually lead us away from where God intended us, and it isolates you, and it destroys your relationships, and it distorts the church's witness. Your desires are powerful. They have power. But not only are our desires real, not only are our desires powerful, but number three, our desires lead us to Jesus. What do we do when we have these desires? And where do we go when we have our desires filled? And I know I'm the pastor, so the answer is what, church? Jesus. But let's think through this a little bit before we just say Jesus and pray. As I said earlier, the answer is not just to deny our desires. The answer is not just to deny that we think we can push down what we really want and really need and just have enough moral fortitude. You can do that, but they're going to come raging back. Your root system of your affections will come up. So clearly the answer cannot be deny your desires. But I think what we find is that we often, what I would call, is have half-hearted desires. Half-hearted desires. What I mean? Here's what I mean. On the screen, there's a quote that says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Okay, like, my desire for pornography is just too strong. My desire for um, lying is just too strong. My desire to, for comfort is just too strong. That's like what we say. It's like, these desires are just way too strong. 
But C.S. Lewis says the opposite. They're actually too weak. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. What is he saying? He's saying that our desires for meeting our needs are way too weak. They're half-hearted. They don't go to where they should actually go. I'm going to use this analogy. You're lazy in your desire meeting. You're lazy. We're lazy. So, for instance, when we feel fear, when's the last time you felt afraid? Four seconds ago. Israel, I'm about to beat you up. I'm just kidding. Last time you're in real fear, Nate and Jen, I was probably in San Diego while I was driving. They upgraded us to a BMW convertible. It was a true story. And it was very awkward showing up to a church pastor's event in a BMW convertible. But we had fun. And I'm sure they felt fear and sick. But I mean, the idea is like, when you just think of that like moment where you are fearful, full of fear, where is the best place to go? This is a general answer to safety, right? Like, if you're out in the jungle, no, out in the, the safari, which one day might be my, it's kind of like my bucket list to go to the safari and see like a cheetah and a lion out in the real world, you know, animal world at Disney, uh, animal, sorry, animal kingdom at Disney World is fun. Be taking that safari ride. But can you imagine just being out in the plains and just seeing like National Geographic for life? Okay, I probably will never get off the, the truck. All right, but if I got off the truck and all of a sudden I saw something, where would I go? If I'm scuba diving, I'm already freaked out of all fish in the sea, and I see a shark, where am I going? Yeah, I'm going straight to safety. I'm not just swimming away, hoping I can outswim them. I'm not going to be like my brother who thinks he can just beat him up in the water. I'm going straight to safety. Like making a beeline. When you feel that afraid, that's normal, right? So, who are the very first people ever in the world to experience fear? Real fear were Adam and Eve. And when they were afraid in the garden, where did they run? To the safest place or the not-so-safe place? Where would be the safest place to run as Adam and Eve in the garden? Towards God. God was safety. God was safety. But they had that fear. They had that feeling. And in that feeling, they had need. Need to actually cover up the shame and the guilt that they experienced. And they had a desire which was to go and hide rather than to run to safety. And so we 
are all like Adam. When we have that deep fear, we are like Adam and don't run to the safest place. We run to a place where we think we're going to be safe. You meet your expectation and your need in a pseudo salvation way. But why? Why would we rather run behind a tree and play hide and seek with a God who can know and see everything rather than run to Him? Why do we do that? I think there's more than one answer to this. But I want to suggest one. And that the answer I want to suggest to you is this, is that you are absolutely unaware of the magnitude of God's present love for you. Adam ran away from God to an unsafe place instead of running to God, the safest place, because he thought when he got to the safest place, what was going to happen to him? Why do you run away from God and not to God? Because you think when you get there, you're not going to measure up. You're not going to find safety. You're not going to actually be able to do something yourself to make up for what you did. And catch this gospel nugget that if we could meditate on for the next thousand years of our life is that, well, not really, next 40 years of your life. And it's on the screen. Jesus loves the present unfinished version of you just as much as he loves the future completed version of you. I don't know if you caught that. Jesus loves you as much right now in whatever condition you are in, in your relationship with him, and how much sin you're dealing with and sickness you're dealing with and guilt and shame, he loves you just as much right now in that situation as he is going to in a thousand years from now. That is unbelievable. That the God of the universe loves you as much right now as he will in the future. It's in fact, it's impossible to love him more, love you more in the future than he does in the presence. And if we would wrap ourselves in the blanket of this love to know that we will always be received, to wrap ourselves in this blanket of love that when we come, he will not reject us, he will not deny us, he will actually embrace us. We will run to him with all of our desires and our needs. But instead, what do we do? We either suppress our needs, we suppress our desires so we don't go to him, or we take all of our desires and unmet needs out on others, often through our voice and yelling and anger and screaming. And all the while, you don't know the love that God has for you. And it's like a catch-22 because when a bunch of Christians who get together and just start running to this unbelievable present love of God for you, you get wrapped up in his love so that when you come over here and hang out with people and they share their needs with you, you act just like you have been given. Do you know why we don't share needs with other people? It's because we've been hurt by those people. They've used those things against us. They have blasted us. They have gossiped about us. 
And yet we come over here and we experience this love of God. We come over to our brothers and sisters and we share that love with them. The people who gossip and use all that information with you, they've never sat next to Jesus' feet and felt that love. You want to be a good disciple of Jesus and help other people grow in their discipleship of Jesus? Wrap yourself in this love and go treat people that same way. Because the way you understand the love of God for you is the way you give it to others. And if you think you have to earn your love for God over here, you make other people earn your love. If you think you have to come up and clean everything up and have everything ready to go, you put those same demands on other people. And if you think you're good enough to come to God on your own, you act with that same moral superiority over other people, which is why they gossip. Jesus loves the presence you. And what you need is to wrap yourself up in that love. To give to him your feelings that lead you to him, that express need to him, and ask for him to meet your desires. The problem is that sometimes he says, no, you're going to the cross. And yet Jesus said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. A theologian, Henry Nouwen, said this. He says, once I know God, like I know him, that is, once I experience his love in which all of my human experience is anchored, I can only desire one thing to be in that love. If you've experienced that love, there's nothing more that you want. I asked the question this morning as we close. Have you felt that love? Do you delight in that love? Do you believe that there is someone who wants to know all of your needs, wants you to share everything with him, who will not cast you out, who will embrace you, who will accept you? Because Jesus loves the present version of you just as much as he loves the future version of you. Father, help us be attentive to our hearts this morning. <clears throat> help us to acknowledge that we are people who are in need. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. That's a good place to be. Because that means we actually will come running to you. So God, I pray that you'll, by your spirit, destroy the moral superiority and the moral fortitude that we think we possess, our self-righteousness that keeps us from you. And help us to run like little children into the arms of our Father, knowing that our Father is going to meet all of our needs according to his riches. And Father, may that love that we experience in your presence right now begin to permeate the way we interact with our brothers and sisters and with our neighbors. 
that just as when we come running to you, there's safety. People would actually find safety with us because we're safe in you. God, may that be true of Redemption Church as we grow more and more into these realities of expressing our needs and desires to be met in you so that they can be found in others because we want people who do not know you to know you. And one of the tangible witnesses of the church is the life of the church. And so I pray for the life of redemption. Spirit, keep us from disunity. Keep us from evil desires being met in places that do not bring, you know, they just don't bring happiness. They don't bring true joy. So we give you praise for what you'll do in and through us for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org. 